Patriots Beat is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. It is Brian Hines from Pat's Pulpit, back with Alex Barth from 98.5, the sports hub to, got a lot to discuss today because the Patriots are back in the win column with a 21-18 victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers from Thursday night, which seems like, you know, ages ago at this point, but we have that game to break down and we have a few roster moves as well to start. Uh, and we can go right to that with Malik Cunningham, who, you know, was under the spotlight a lot this past few weeks with the quarterback room looking like what it has been. And he's been elevated the last two weeks off the practice squad, but hasn't been able to play a snap. And he won't play a snap for the Patriots moving forward because the Baltimore Ravens signed Malik Cunningham off the Patriots practice squad to their active roster So Malik Mania is now over in New England as he goes over to Baltimore and a spot that makes sense with him, you know, kind of that same skill set, obviously not as talented as Lamar Jackson, but kind of that same skill set for that offense uh, as his backup there. Yeah, and I I think as we look back on the Malik, Eric Cunningham in New England, it's not that that often that a practice squad player gets covered the way Malik Cunningham does. I think a lot of people looked at his athletic ability at the quarterback position as a change is, is an ability to do for the Patriots to do something different. And I, the, the potential may have been there. I don't think he was ever going to be it was a never the answer. answer at the quarterback yeah. position. Right. But in a year where the quarterback position was such an issue, would it have been interesting to see what he could have brought? Yes. I think ultimately the, the problem for the Patriots was they never, or I don't want to say they never made up their mind. They clearly did. They never let Malik Cunningham focus on any one thing. Trying to, even coming from being a college quarterback, any college quarterback, the jump to the NFL is tough enough. Now you're also having him split time doing that and trying to learn a whole other position. He's never played a wide receiver. That was just not a... The development path wasn't there. It didn't make sense. So I know some people will say they should have kept him a quarterback all along. I would say, look, if they identified something in him that they thought they could turn him into a wide receiver, fine, that too. Pick one. Pick one. Either develop him as a quarterback or develop mm-hmm. him as a wide receiver. Having him do both was never going to end well. It just wasn't. And we'll see what he gets a chance to do now in Baltimore. I think it's a good spot for him. He gets reunited with Lamar Jackson, who he's obviously close with. They played together at Louisville. Their backup quarterbacks right now are Tyler Huntley and, and Josh Johnson. So it's probably a job that can be won, maybe not for the duration of this season. But I would say when you get into the offseason and when the Ravens start training camp for 2024, I would say backup quarterback will probably, assuming that they don't bring in anybody else, backup quarterback will probably be a spot to watch there with Billy Cunningham in the mix. But yeah, the Patriots just, they, they were never able to narrow it down with him. Because of that, he never got his chances at quarterback, right? We heard a couple of weeks ago that part of the reason he wasn't getting the looks during games was because he wasn't practicing there. And so now another team's going to take a shot at developing him and hopefully has a better plan for him. Yeah, the wide receiver stuff was kind of frustrating because, as he said, he, he told us he's never even ran a route before until like he got right. here in the spring. And, I mean, this offense is complicated enough to learn for – players who actually play wide receiver in college to transition from, you know, a quarterback, that that's a tough ask. And yeah, with the way this quarterback room has gone this year, it's, you would have liked to see that skill set. And maybe if he was practicing over all of the spring and over the summer, strictly at quarterback, 
he comes in in that Ravers, uh, Raiders game and he doesn't look completely overwhelmed, right? And he looks more comfortable and he, and he can maybe make an impact. So I'm with you that he wasn't going to probably wasn't going to become Lamar Jackson for you, right? He's probably not going to develop into this MVP starting quarterback, but uh, it would have been interesting to see how it developed if he was playing quarterback throughout the whole summer and the spring and then maybe he could come in here and be a package player for you like he showed you in a preseason and I know it's a fourth quarter of the preseason against backups but like the skill set skill set is obviously pretty dynamic unlike the other quarterbacks on this roster right exactly and they just they were never able to figure out a way to maximize that skill set because they were too focused or they didn't need to be focused which was him practicing a wide receiver. Yep. So Malik out. Uh, also some shakeups on the coaching staff, kind of a rare in-season loss uh, on the staff because assistant wide receivers coach Ross Douglas departed over the weekend to Syracuse. Uh, he'll be the wide receivers coach there. It, it's not really a lateral move, though, because it sounds like it's his own room. And sounds like he'll have a little input on, you know, the coordinating of the offense there. So Douglas uh, transitions to Syracuse, leaves the Patriots staff, talking with some of the assistants this morning. They kind of sounded blindsided by it, but, you know, they were all, you know, we wish him luck, you know, happy for him to get that job. And they're all just, Troy Brown said, you know, everyone's just got to step up a little bit more to take on uh, some of those responsibilities that he held, but kind of a rare in-season move there for, for Douglas to to leave. Yeah, uh, and it, I, I think the natural question that comes out of it, I mean, first off, obviously, congratulations to Ross Douglas, yep. and you're right. It sounds like there's going to be some coordinator type of responsibilities that come with this job. So moving up in a sense, but what does it, does it tell us anything about the future of the Patriots coaching staff? Was Ross Douglas, because you assume Ross Douglas went to Bill and was like, hey, just, you know, is there anything I should know before I take this job, right? And could it signal that the wide receivers coaches are going to be changed this offseason? Could it mean something for Bill? I don't think it's that big. What it does tell me is maybe there's little certainty about what the offensive staff is going to look like beyond this season. Bill Belichick or not? Will Bill O'Brien be back? Will they shake up the positional coaches? Obviously, the wide receiver room hasn't produces expected the last few years that's ross douglas and troy brown those are guys that should be in the spotlight this offseason is adrian clem going to come back to coaching we don't know what you hope he's taking care of himself medically but it does become a question if bill o'brien leaves what does that mean for will lawing the tight ends coach because that's o'brien's guy and vinnie sunseri is a college safety coaching the running back so realistically that whole group is in position to be shaken up this offseason if ross douglas went to bill and said hey i have this offer from the college level did Bill or somebody else basically say to him, yeah, I mean, we don't know what your role is going to be here beyond this year. If you can get job security, take it. I wouldn't rule something like that out. Yeah, especially because he's a guy, a younger guy. I think he's only 26, 25, 26. Something and, like that, yeah. Uh, so younger guy, he's been spoken very highly of, of you know, some of the players that have been in here the last few years. He he took a big role on the Shrine Bowl, that coaching staff. I believe he was the offensive coordinator. I also believe he might have been on like Tom Pelissero's, like not next up, but like even the tier below that of, yeah. of guys to watch for potential head coaching candidates. So uh, he, he's a young guy who, you know, players really like and seems to have a lot of potential moving forward. So yeah, I think the question marks around not only Bill, but I mean, 
Troy Brown, we've talked a lot about him, and that room hasn't gone well, so could be some some switch up there. And if you know, you don't blame him for taking job security uh, and what sounds like a bigger role, even though it's a college program. You you, you can't blame him for doing that, even though it's a yeah. a, a rare. That's the word I keep coming back to, but you don't see you know coaches leave like in week fourteen of a season like that that often. The the one it kind of reminds me of, and this was a little bit bigger was Jed Fish left around this time. Yeah. It was like mid-late December when he left for the Arizona job in 2020. That was obviously a different circumstance, but I think the reason this may feel unfamiliar to Patriots fans is they're not used to the team being out of it at this point. Yeah, When the team's out of it, things like this happen because if schools want you, in terms of the NFL, it you know you wait till the end of the season until the coaching carousel starts. But in college, if the school wants you, they're going to get you because they want you to start recruiting. They want you to start building out the off-season program, all that. Their season is over. So it's not that unusual. It doesn't happen a ton, but it's not that unusual to see a guy leave with uh, you know about a month or two left in the season to go to a college job. The difference is those it, it, that only happens to teams that are out of the playoffs. If you're still in the playoff chase, generally you're going to hang around. Yeah. right? We remember we knew uh, Charlie Weiss was leaving for Notre Dame. In the uh, in 2004, but he stuck with the team. A little different situation there, but yeah, it it's not that unusual. But it's a sign that hey, guys are going to start maybe getting out of here if they can. Yep, definitely. But a uh, few other you know not as big roster moves, but we can talk about them and kind of transition them into the Steelers game too. Over the weekend after the game, Ty Montgomery was released because they claimed uh, Corliss Ellis off waivers. They beat out five teams for him. The, the Eagles released him to make room for Shaq Leonard. So the Patriots actually claimed him before the game but didn't have to make a move until after the game because they had that Thursday uh, night matchup. So they released Ty Montgomery after you know he was probably at fault yeah. most for that block punt. They bring in uh, Corliss Ellis, and they also released Matthew Wright, the kicker off the practice squad, and Chad Ryland is back to being the lone kicker on the roster, even though he hasn't had any field goal attempts the last two games. He made three extra points against Pittsburgh. I asked Cam Acord about him this morning, and he said, you know, he's been striking the ball pretty well in practice. He bounced back. So it sounds like that confidence might be kind of back up with Chad Ryland, uh, and they can release Matthew Wright. But Ty Montgomery is an interesting one as a guy who's been here all year as a kick returner and on that pump block team and just, like, if you take it to the Steelers game, like the special teams errors just keep coming up. And that was a big one in that game. So interesting to see the move uh, being made after that. Yeah, it's, it's just not good. It's not good. And we'll see if Christian Ellis helps. I think you mentioned that there, but it's mistake after mistake after mistake. And it's not like it's, you know, Montgomery was making mistakes, but other guys were making mistakes too. I don't think just cutting one guy changes that or fixes that i think this is a unit that's going to need to complete tear down and rebuild in the offseason outside of bryce Baringer, it's probably it and matthew slater if he comes back which i uh, is he going to come back after this i can't imagine i would doubt it but uh i mean they have joe cardona under contract and school all right yeah, yeah. joe Cardona. well brandon schoolers committing what? a ton of a lot of penalties yeah yeah no cardona i, I should have mentioned cardona in, that, in there that's fair cardona uh, uh, Cardona, Beringer, and Slater, if he comes back, I, could they do better than Schooler? Could they get a guy that doesn't commit so many overly aggressive penalties? They might be able to. I'm not saying yeah. Schooler's bad, but I'm also not saying he's not replaceable either. Yeah, so I, I was looking up his stats actually earlier because 
Acord was talking about, you know, how much extra attention he's getting this year. And he's second in the league with nine special teams tackles, but he's first in the league with four penalties against. He had another one Thursday night. So that's, right. uh, he only had two all of last year. So that's been an interesting kind of development from, from schoolers. And for context, league. Matthew Slater's never had more than two in a season. Yeah. So definitely not the, the path you want to be on. And then, I mean, like, I don't know what were your thoughts on the Jelani Tavai jumps off sides in that game. They said it was because the snapper moved his hand and it moved the ball and that caused Tavai to jump off sides. He certainly, his reaction looked like he thought he got got, right? He put his hands on his head right. and, and looked pretty pissed off. But that was another one that should have probably gifted Pittsburgh a f- first down with like five minutes left and maybe could have cost you the game there. So yeah. I mean, they're one of the most penalized uh, special teams units in the league. They didn't deserve the benefit of it out there. They obviously got it. It probably changed the game, but a special teams mistake nonetheless, whether yeah. it went in the books as one or not. Yep. Uh, frustrating for a team that spends so much time, resources, roster spots on all of this. They have three coaches. Right. It's It's been a frustrating year for, the, for that special teams uh, department. But uh, that – Sums it up for roster moves, I believe, right? There was nothing else. Like, oh, uh, Calvin Munson is gone off the practice squad. That was the other kind of minor one there. The Dolphins signed him to the 53-man roster, their 53-man roster. But those were the uh, kind of roster moves, coaching moves over the weekend. So uh, we could hear from our friends over at FanDuel very quickly, and then we could get into a little bit more of that Steelers game. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel. America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action NFL. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including you got spreads, you got your player props, you got over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050. For 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right. So Patriots scored some points Thursday night. Yeah. Alex, 21, uh, in, in fact. And, you know, three first-half touchdowns from Bailey Zappi, first quarterback, Patriots quarterback since Tom Brady in 2018 to do that. Uh, he, he was really good in the first half. And then things kind of fell apart in the second half. They only threw it, I uh, had it here, they only threw it nine times in the second half. Four of them was after an interception where he kind of made a bad decision. The ball was hit, but he had an open Hunter Henry. So tail two halves there. It was good in the first. You know, he was active at the line of scrimmage. He, he made some good throws, good in the pocket again. But they went really conservative, kind of like that Chargers game plan again in that second half and almost let Pittsburgh back into that one. Right. So I, I would say on Zappy, I guess we'll start here. The, the second touchdown throw to Hunter Henry, the one 
He throws on a rope up the sideline. Some people are comparing it to the Mac Jones interception against the Dolphins, the ones at Jalen Ramsey. That's probably the Zappy touchdown. That's probably the best single throw Patriots quarterbacks made this year. That was an excellent throw. I thought on the other touchdown, Hunter Henry uh, did a good job of just kind of putting the ball up. That's one where you trust your playmaker, put it where only Henry could get it. Henry went up and got it. I thought Hunter Henry was outstanding in this game. And yeah, third one was just kind of a, a check down. Ezekiel Elliott did all the work and we'll get to him. But I, I thought besides that, like the throw to Juju, that's more Juju than it was Zappy. Zappy just kind of put the ball in the spot. Juju made the catch through contact. I think you saw tremendous flashes from Bailey Zappy, but there was very little consistency. And that's ultimately what he's going to need to show over the last couple of weeks. He had a bad game against the Chargers. He was good in moments against the Steelers, then fell off. You want to see him put it together a little bit more because he did look flustered at times at the second in the second half. He took a really weird heat check in terms of trying to fit the ball into a tight window that led to his interception there in the second half. So, again, he certainly looks better than Mac Jones did. I don't think that bar is that high at this point, which is why you can't get too carried away with it and start talking about, well, you know, just get a Marvin Harrison Jr. And here we go. We're, we're so, so far from that at this point, but yeah, I thought he made some nice throws. I thought he made some nice plays and he's got to show more. He's got to do it more consistently, but he did do that. He did put some good plays on tape. Yeah. The, like the one to Juju, he said it was underthrown, but, he said after the game, like he alerted into that and then he made the read, made the throw, the one in the red zone to Henry, like good throw high up, as you said, and also like really good eye manipulation to kind of hold that safety over there. I think the thing with him, he kind of like locks on to those go balls a lot, I feel, yeah. and he didn't have Devontae Parker in this game. So he was throwing them to Tyquan Thornton, which you don't love. But I thought there were a few times, especially in that second half where like Farrell Brown was running open a lot in this game. There was one, he was on just kind of an over across the middle, wide open, probably would have been 20, 25, 30 yards. And Zappy just kind of locks on to Tyquan Thornton running a go route on the outside and it falls incomplete. And uh, he had another one to Brown later too, like up the seam. So I think there were just some bad decisions. Sometimes he locks on to those jump balls up the sidelines, but yeah, it, it was a good first half kind of fell apart in the second half. I'm not ready to announce Bailey Zappi, the long-term answer here. Like we didn't say that was right. Malik either, but maybe he's starting to work his way into, you know, he, he you can keep him around next year and be a viable backup, right? And with this right. team, that's one less piece. It doesn't sound much, but it's one less piece. You have to check off this offseason when you're kind of reloading this whole offense. So, you know, if you have that, good, right? And that could be Bailey Zappi. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I talked to Greg Bedard about it on the sports so post game show after, and it's kind of what, what we were talking about is like, he's just trying to prove he belongs in the league at this point. You know, can he be a guy that, uh, you know, if you lose your starter for three and four games, he can come in and keep you afloat. And that's kind of what you saw from him on Thursday night. He's not a guy you're going to build a team around, but if you need somebody in a pinch to go win you a game, he has a chance to do that. Yeah. I mean, he's three and one as a starter. So yeah, that's, what you need as your backup, if you can just. This was, I'll one. say, this was his most impressive win, though. And I know the numbers were, I guess they weren't better in either of those other games. In the, uh, the Cleveland game last year was pretty impressive. Yeah, that defense is terrible. Yeah. And that's kind of my point. I know TJ Watt was sort of in and out of the game, but you still have Minka Fitzpatrick. You still have a guy like Cameron Hayward in the middle. Like they've got players on that side of the ball there in Pittsburgh. 
this was his most impressive win because I think he held his own against the defense that has given quarterbacks fits where the two last year, people, I'm always the first to go, yeah, remember the teams he played, look who we played. Like, you can't do that with this game. He played a good team, so he deserves credit for that one. I think he deserves as much credit for that game as he does for any of his other performances at this point. Yeah, especially on a short week to add that on the road. Good defense, good good performance for him. But uh, you imagine he's still the starter going forward, even though Bill still won't admit it. But you'd right. be pretty shocked if they ditched. Well, look, we know it's not going to be Malik Cunningham, so that takes one, <laughs> one option. One's out. down, one's down. We're yeah. only down to three options now. So uh, does Mac Jones have his starting his backup job back now, or was that always Mac Jones? We'll, we'll see if we'll see if Will Greer gets elevated this week. Yeah, so that'd be interesting to watch in that quarterback room. But uh, you mentioned Zeke. Uh, Bill described it as a pro performance, 52 out of 57 snaps with Ramondre obviously out. The run game was iffy. He had a few nice runs at the end there to to ice the game, but his work as a uh, pass catcher was kind of where it stood out. It had that touchdown early. He's been awesome on you know screens this year, getting large chunks. So, that that was an awesome game for Zeke when they really needed him down. Ramondre, Kendrick Bourne, Demario Douglas, Kayshawn Booty, and it was good to see Zeke uh, kind of step up like that. And he definitely still has some juice in those legs. Yeah, I thought that was a tremendous game from him. He was the Patriots player of the game in this one. They put the whole thing on his back, and he went out and he delivered. And he's going to get paid this offseason. He's not going to yeah. get you know $20 million a year. But as far as running backs go, I actually think he has a chance to be towards the top of the market because he's showing he can still carry an offense. And good for him for doing that, uh, absolutely. But, yeah, he was he was excellent in that game, and that was flashes of old-school Zeke. Would you say he's their best move of the offseason? Maybe yeah. not including <laughs> the draft, but... <laughs> yeah, no, he is. He Look, I mean, who else are we talking about here? Calvin Anderson played, what, two games this year? Riley Reef yeah. played one game this year. Juju Smith-Schuster, maybe he comes on strong here late, but he really hasn't done much. Mike Kosicki hasn't done much. Um, you could say like re-signing Jabril Peppers maybe would be the other one, but in terms of new players they brought in, in terms of veteran players they brought in, yeah, Zeke's been the best addition they made. Yeah, it's definitely been better than Dalvin Cook down there in New York. But, oh, yeah. Um, you mentioned Juju. Great game, best game as a Patriot back in Pittsburgh. It, it seemed like this was kind of coming almost, like, I don't even know if I should say that because of the quarterback play, but I thought the last few weeks there have been plays for him to get the ball kind of downfield, but with everything going on with the offensive line and the quarterbacks in and out, like there's just not trust there. And like that play first drive downfield, like that's a trust play. You got to trust Juju to go up there and get that. And, you know, switching out the quarterbacks, there's just not much trust there. So Maybe there's some chances down here for Juju now that, you know, Zappy's in and they're working together to, you know, get some of those more trust balls where he just has a little separation and then can kind of box out a guy in the intermediate levels of the field and, and kind of build off that. And even if that doesn't translate to, hey, you're locked in next year under contract, like we're not going to just cut you, but maybe it kind of garners a trade market for him and, and teams could see that and say, this is a guy who, you know, we could get up for a late round pick and he could still come in and be valuable. So I thought that was a good game from Juju and maybe that's been kind of coming for the last few weeks. 
Yeah, it, it definitely felt like it was building a little bit. I'm going to see, see, need to see more from him than just one game. His 98 yeah. receiving yards are the most for any Patriots wide receiver this season <laughs> in a game. But he he showed some life. I just thought in terms of his movement, we talked a lot at the beginning of the season, was his knee truly healthy? I thought he moved as well as he has all year. I thought he looked as explosive just coming in and out of cuts, running in the open field as he has all year. So that's encouraging because it tells you, even if he maybe doesn't contribute this year, when you get to next year and he's had a full off season off, maybe he can kind of get back to being that player. That was probably the most encouraging thing for me. But like you said, I, I think the chemistry is a part of it too. And if you remember, he didn't, participate in the spring. So he's kind of behind on working with Mac Jones. And then he wasn't super involved in camp. Uh, if anything, it gives you a little hope for maybe next season that they can salvage him. But I, I still think expecting anything for big from Juju down the stretch here is a little much. Yeah. But that one, like he caught and ran like 20 yards. Like that's exactly like you said, the most explosive he looked all year. And he came into the game with an ankle injury. So it was good to see, especially if he can keep building on this down the stretch might not completely change the perception moving on to next season, but maybe it could make you feel a little bit better about that. But uh, while he was on the up, Taekwon was back down. I thought like another just tough game for him. Wasn't getting open. He, he was falling a lot. It looked like too on, on route. So not good for him, but uh, Hunter Henry was awesome. We talked about him a little bit. Farrell Brown was open a lot. So, I mean, coming into the game with those pass catchers, when you saw Devontae Parker was out, like right. it looked bleak, and they still put it together. You know, props to Zeke, Juju, and Hunter Henry for really carrying that load. But still, just tough. Taekwon can't be consistent enough to even you know make a week in week out impact. I'll I'll say this though, and I did not think Taekwon Thornton was good in this game. He wasn't. That whole take I have about how the second guess isn't Taekwon and George Pickens. It's, you know, you did not look good either. Christian Watson over Cole Strange, and that's who you get the receiver. Uh, that, that, the 50th and 52nd picks in that draft, thir- three catches for 17 yards, five catches for 19 yards. Impressively low yak <laughs> from both players. Uh, obviously, Pickens has had much higher highs than Thornton has, but the point again being like neither of these guys were a sure thing. Neither of these guys could, well, Thornton, I guess, is consistent, but no, another rough game for Tyquan Thornton. Like I said, with Juju, that kind of performance gives you some hope looking ahead to next year. Tyquan Thornton, it's like, all right, he's got no more guaranteed money in his contract after this year. Is he even going to be a part of this thing moving forward? It's hard to say. Yep, definitely. But uh, last thing I had offensively, we can go to the line. I thought, you know, we talked a lot about Mike Unwinu last week, his first really bad game against Khalil Mack. I wouldn't say it was perfect against a hobbled TJ Watt, but it was it was much better. He didn't allow a sack. I think it was only three or four hurries. So a, a really good bounce back game from Mike Unwinu, what you wanted to see against against Watt there. Uh, they still rotated uh, McDermott and Brown. The interior gave up some pressures. It looked mostly like on City City So on some of those stunts and line games. Maybe you could just chop chop those up to some rookie mistakes. But I thought Unwinu was kind of the big one there just to see him bounce back after his first real bad game as a tackle last week. Yeah, that was the big takeaway from the offensive line for me. And I think we talked about this last week with when who does that game derail the idea of bringing him back as your right tackle. And I said, well, let's see if this becomes a habit, then yeah, you have to think twice about it, but a guys have a bad game. It happens on when bounced back. So that was certainly encouraging, especially because now it really seems like Trent's gone after the way he took a shot at the team today after uh, Malik Cunningham left to uh, put on, he put on Instagram and said, 
what was it go where your talents are appreciated or something like that? Something like that. I don't know if I could something along those lines. Malik Cunningham got a lot of shout outs on social media today. He was clearly a, a well-liked guy. Go flourish where your talent is respected. That yes. was what Trent Brown said. So that seems to be directed. And I'm, I'm usually the first one to say, calm down on the social media stuff. Like a couple years ago when Trent Brown was liking a bunch of posts about something, it's like, he likes everything. Everything. That's yeah. what he does. Kendrick Bourne, the same way people be like, Oh, look at Kendrick Bourne. Like he likes everything. Uh, this is one where I'm like, okay, there might be something behind that. That one's a little and different than just the when, light. <laughs> when you look at the context of what everybody else said and the way Trent has spoken about the team <clears> this year, <throat> it feels like there might've been a little more weight behind that one. Yep. I agree. But uh, quickly on the defense, Mitch Trubisky stinks. That was a tough watch, Mitch Trubisky. But, Can uh, I give you a hot take? Sure. Mason Rudolph is not better. Oh, I yeah. still think Mitch Trubisky was the best option for the Steelers at quarterback. Like, in the I know. Weren't all the fans chanting for Mason Rudolph or something? Yeah. I'm like, that's not going to make this any better. He's Slower not Slower Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> Slower Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, that's all least, I heard. At least Trubisky can run a little bit and right. escape. But I don't know why they didn't run it more. Like That, to me, was the big question, why they didn't run more design runs for him, especially on the, the third and two. You want to talk about a and this was the Patriots have been on the other side of these so many times this year. You had a bad special teams mistake, the false start by the center, and that is what it ended up being in the books. And then you get to that third and two with like 206 to go. The clock is going to stop no matter what. You run the ball there. You have a quarterback you can run a read option with. You have Najee Harris. I know a lot of people are down on him, but he's a power back. He'll get you two yards. He might not break it, but he'll get you two yards. You run the freaking ball there my god some of the decisions the Steelers coaching staff made especially on the offensive side of the ball they kept trying to run that stretch run behind I know you want to get to the defense and we'll talk about Anthony Jennings but like they kept going back to that well uh it was bad it was really bad and then the fourth and two to follow they throw like right. a they threw deep on both of them. yeah <laughs> when they only needed a field goal you didn't need a touchdown no that was and like credit to John Jones on that like that was really good coverage but like fourth and two and that's your that's your look and like no one else it wasn't even like that was the only thing going on like no one else was even it it was just a mess of a play on fourth and two so that was like a really vanilla offense for for the Steelers with Mitch Trubisky and you know still credit to the pass coverage and and the back end there but yeah that was rough for Mitch Trubisky it was probably one of the lone games this year the Patriots had a quarterback advantage I would say so uh, not good, but the run defense, you know, they're number one in basically every ranking you want to look at. They were awesome again. Uh, you mentioned Anthony Jennings just destroying Darnell Washington and Pat Fryermuth or any tight end they tried to put in front of him. Devon Godshaw was a, a beast again. Demarcus Covington called him one of the best run defenders in the NFL. Those two guys were awesome. Uh, Christian Barmore was again a force four or five quarterback pressures. So really good performance from that defensive line. Got some good contributions in the secondary after, even with, you know, guys like uh, Kyle Duggar blitzing the quarterback, yeah. right? some of those creeper pressures they were running with him and miles, Bryant, the turnover and a sack. So that, that defensive line has been, especially against the run has been key for them down the stretch, but they're getting some better coverage too lately in the secondary. 
they kept going to this look where they would only put two down linemen, Barmore and Keon White, and they'd rush those two and blitz two others. And twice on third down, or one of them might have been a fourth down, but they brought Kyle Duggar and Miles Bryant. And one of those ended up in a sack. Another one ended up in an interception. And, yeah, it was a really good look. I, I think they spun the dial very well against Trubisky. The one player, though, I want to sing a lot is Anthony Jennings because he was going up against Darnell Washington, who, if you watch this show, a guy we talked a lot about during the draft, big, big physical tight end, a guy that, you know, you get hyped up to run behind. And Anthony Jennings was just tossing him. Just he was not an impediment at all for Anthony Jennings as they tried to run to the outside multiple times and just continues what's been a strong year for Jennings. And again, a guy that should be in the conversation for a new contract. He's he's one of the guys they need to resign. I would argue that that it would make more sense, you know, given what the payday would likely be. It makes more sense for or, or factoring that in, not just because of that, but all things considered. Is Jennings should Jennings be more of a priority than than Josh Uche? I would say that there's a strong case for that. Yeah, especially if it's the same defensive coaching staff, right? You know they love that guy who can set the edge against the run. So you definitely think he might be a priority this offseason. And the last guy I wanted to shout out was Mac Wilson because he's been playing really good football the last few weeks. And this was a guy at the end of last year who was unplayable, right? He didn't play a right. defensive snap really down the stretch. And he's been playing really good the last few weeks. He had... A uh, sack, which, you know, he was kind of like a quarterback spy and got Trubisky at the line of scrimmage. He had that pass breakup on, you want to talk about funky play callers from the, from the Steelers, whatever the hell that goal line oh, play was. Oh, that was great. More <laughs> more fullbacks should throw passes to third-string tight ends in the red zone, <laughs> frankly. I, we don't get enough of that. Yeah, that was – that. I like. I thought they fired Matt Canada a few weeks ago. I don't know where that <laughs> came from, but uh, he made a nice play to, to break it up. Credit where credits due. Dapped up Bill Belichick after. So he he's been a guy, and Bill talked very highly of him after the game. So he's been a guy who who's had a really nice year after kind of a rough stretch to end uh, his first year here last year. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah I'd agree with that. He's been really good too. Um, you saw a lot of the guys again that. This is a take I've had. You don't need to do that much with the defense. And you saw why in this game, and I know they played a good quarterback, but it's still, you go back through the film, like a solid defensive effort, independent of the quarterback play on the other side. Obviously they'll have a much tougher test this week against the chiefs. And I'm sure they'll get torn to shreds and, and you'll all tell me I'm an idiot, but I would say I don't exactly love facing a pissed off Patrick Mahomes in a pissed off chiefs offense. But I, I think that they have a number of guys on this defense that you look at and, you say, yeah, he, he can come back next year. He'll be a part of it next year. Yep. Yeah, they'll have a good test Sunday against Kansas City, that's for sure. But any other last things you had from, from that Thursday night game there, offense, defense? I know we talked special teams early, but any other last notes you had? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. All right. So we could hear from SeatGeek very quickly, and then we have a few more things very quickly to conclude the show today. You know, I've been looking for the best deal on Celtics tickets, and with over 28 million downloads, SeatGeek is the number one rated ticketing app. There are more than 70,000 events every single day on SeatGeek, including concerts, sports festivals, and more. With the NFL, NBA, and NHL seasons in full swing, you don't want to miss out. SeatGeek has your tickets to every game. Plus, artists like Travis Scott are on tour. 
They put all the tickets across the web in one place to make sure you're getting a good deal. Each ticket is rated on a scale of 1 to 10, so look for the green dots. Green means good and red means bad. Every ticket is backed by their buyer guarantee, and SeatGeek is the only site that lets you return your tickets ahead of the event with swaps. So as you know, I always come through for you guys. You can use my code DREAMERSPRO for $20 off tickets at SeatGeek. That's $20 off your first purchase with promo code DREAMERSPRO. Make sure you check the link in the description to download the app. All right, so we'll get into a Boston Sports Minute in a second, but before we do that, Alex, I wanted to hear how Army-Navy was because it looked like an awesome atmosphere and an awesome game, and did you take anything away from Robert Kraft or Bill Belichick on college game day before the game? So Army-Navy was unbelievable, and I think every single person who was there, even some people I know had doubt about what the game would be like, came away saying this was you know, I'm so glad I went unbelievable bucket list event for fans from some people I've talked to. I think Gillette stadium, like passed the test. Right. So hopefully the next open game is in 2028. I think they're going to schedule them in like blocks of four. So at some point in that next block, hopefully it comes back. Certainly it's an environment. You don't get environments like that in the NFL, even like when the Patriots are good and, and Gillette stadium is a good environment when the Patriots are good, but it's, it's on another level, man. And the pomp and circumstance of all of it. And then to get a great game second year in a row, by the way, the game came down to one or two plays on the goal line with me standing next to the end zone that they're in. I was right there. It was me, Mike Cadlick, uh, Sophie Weller, uh, 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 George Belecci from Nesson. We were all kind of, kind of checking that out. Um, just an unbelievable game, unbelievable night. Uh, I, you know, tremendous job by the crafts and all of them. Tremendous job by the schools. You know, shout out to the players for for playing a great game. Again, if you haven't been to it, it's going to be in D.C. next year and then Baltimore and then back in Philly. You don't know. I don't know if it's going to be back here. It should be. I hope it is, but I don't know. Go. If you can go, go. Find a way to go. Go over the whole thing. Go for March on. Um, just, yeah, it was funny the, the come down after that game. For me, you know, it being something I've been looking forward to so much. And then... <laughs> You know, that's it. It's done. And it's not one of those things where, oh, it comes back next year. You know, like the draft for me, like it's all right. Well, you know, that was fun. I'll get to do it again next year. Uh, I don't know what the deal is with Army Navy, but yeah, tremendous, tremendous experience. And um, I, I can't, as you can tell, like I can't say enough about it. As for Kraft and Belichick, Belichick putting on the helmet was awesome. Yeah, was Him awesome. and Corso was great. You know, I love college game day. It's a big part of uh my, you know, how I watch college football, how I learn about college football. I got to meet Stanford Steve, which was pretty cool. Uh, he, he couldn't have been nicer. He was awesome. Same Dave Portnoy. Me and Mike met Dave Portnoy, which was cool. Um, he was super nice as well. Uh, but, yeah, to see Bill up there on the set with those guys, with Kirk and all them was fun. As for Kraft, and, and everybody will make a lot of the comment that he that, – that, not that he made, but that Pat McAfee made to him about like, hey, we all know what comes next. I don't envy you. This is kind of a disconnect to me, and I know people don't want to hear this, and this sounds like me dismissing it, but as somebody who watches college game day every week and watches a lot of Pat McAfee to people who probably aren't familiar with Pat McAfee, the media personality, which if you're not a big college football person, you're probably not. 
he just kind of says things. And he said this <laughs> yeah. yesterday and everybody, oh, he's backtracking. No, like he's a weird guy. He's kind of an instigator and I love him for it. I don't mean to not for it. It's great. But this is what he does. They had Lane Kiffin on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he's trying to get Kiffin to admit like he's rooting for Alabama, which is kind of a scandalous thing in Kiffin's position. So this is sort of just what he does. I don't think Pat McAfee knows anything. If you go back a couple of weeks, you remember Dan Orlovsky said on their show that he heard the deal was already set for Bill Belichick to get traded. I'm sure McAfee's thinking about that. I don't think Pat McAfee knows anything. He He's just kind of weirdo, like in a great way, but he's just kind of goofy. This is what he does. And this is just a bunch of people who aren't exposed to college game days, not NFL countdown. NFL countdown is, especially now, I used to, I used to love NFL countdown when I was a kid. Uh, it's a new show. It's all right. Here are the matchups. Here's what you need for fantasy. Here's the betting. Like it's very all, there's not a ton of goofing around. I'm not saying they don't have fun. College game day is just like a free-for-all. Yeah. I mean, they do a little bit of everything. And if you don't watch college game day regularly, I understand why you'd see that segment and think that there's something going on behind closed doors. This is just what they do. Uh, you know, I go back to McAfee. Like, if you watch every week, McAfee has a student. He picks a student. This week it was two. He had one from each academy. Picks a student, has him kick a try to kick like i think it's like a 30 yard field goal and McAfee offers like it's anywhere from like a hundred thousand dollars three hundred thousand dollars depending on the week whatever mood he's in and he like legitimately shit talks the kids <laughs> and like like talks crap about the universities and all of that if you were watching that with no understanding of what's going on you would think oh my god this is horrible McAfee's gonna lose his job oh my god no this is just what he does it's just who he is so yeah and i there's mixed opinions of him on game day i like him but yeah, again, if you don't really watch him regularly, I understand why that looks weird out of time. Yeah, he he likes to just ruffle feathers and, and say whatever just comes to his mind. So I didn't put too much into into that, but he I do like him on game day. His call, you had to see the call uh, conference championship weekend where he picked he did the whole Georgia song and then he picked Alabama. Yeah. That was all time. That was, that was so great. funny. That was so funny, but. Yeah, uh, the one thing Kraft said, I don't know if, how you took it, but he was talking a lot about, you know, loyalty and, you know, friendship. Yeah. And that's how he's built this thing up. Did you take that? Like, because I kind of took that being like, hey, we're not just going to hire, a, maybe hire a new guy and fire a new guy like a David Tepper or, you know, we're like relationships around here. I didn't necessarily right. take that as, oh, we're just going to keep Bill around. I kind of took that the other way, I think. I don't know. Uh, did you read into that anyway? Or Those just... are pretty core craft tenants. Yeah. That's kind of just him saying th that that's just him playing the hits. Again, I, I, I know so many people want to take so much out of that. And I, I, I hate to be the bummer. And this isn't even necessarily to defend Bill Belichick. I don't think it means anything one way or the other. I think that's just craft saying things. He generally says when he's in public, Oh yeah, you know, we're the crafts. This is what we do. We, we, you know, we hire smart people and we keep them around and we promote them. And, you know, we believe in our own. And like, that's just core craft beliefs. I don't know that that says much about now. If you want to extrapolate that, that's why I think so many people see either somebody like Gerard Mayo, assuming that role of Bill leaves or them going back to a familiar name, like a guy like Josh McDaniels, if you want to connect those dots, fine. What I would say is 
we've known that. We've known this is how Kraft operates for years. I didn't need him saying it on game day to tell me. So I don't think it's any new information, but yes, it does maybe hammer home the idea that, hey, they're not going to go totally off the map and hire some guy that has never been connected to the organization. There's going to be somebody there. Now, maybe it's not an immediate connection. Maybe it's somebody who was here briefly, somebody who was here a long time ago, something like that. But it, I, I don't think it's any new information there. That's how Kraft just always, always talks. Yep. He's always been big on loyalty. We, we've seen yeah. that certainly for throughout his time here. But uh, we can end with a Boston Sports Minute because we haven't hit one of those in a while. Uh, MLB free agency is in full force, and the Red Sox said a few months ago maybe that they were going to go full throttle and – this is certainly not full throttle, <laughs> if, is one way to say it. Uh, you know, they traded for Tyler O'Neill. Uh, did they have one other minor move that I'm forgetting? They traded Verdugo away. Oh, Verdugo, obviously. That so was, they, it's a wash. Yeah, that was a, a, another one to the Yankees. As, you know, Otani signed with the Dodgers. There was a report that they're meeting. The, the Red Sox are meeting with Yamamoto this morning, but it, it's been kind of a disappointing start i would say even though like they got marginally better i think with these two moves but like now we need the big stuff like you can't just keep making these little moves year after year and expecting things to change you need to go out and spend you have the money there's no reason not to at this point yeah it needs to be more than marginal and i'll I'll say this and people know i'm not usually one to defend the red Sox. i don't necessarily care that they didn't get otani yeah i don't think he was ever going to sign here money or not said he wanted to be on the west coast said he wanted to be somewhere where we can be a lower profile in la there's so many celebrities around it'll be easier for him um but you know like today and i I don't think seth lugo is such a great pitcher but this was supposedly one of their guys this was one of the guys that they felt could really help them and they got outbid and look sometimes you get outbid when you're bidding against big market teams like the um the kansas city royals (laughs) They got outbid by the Kansas City Royals. And this is why I never, this is why it was so hard for me to throw too much crap at High Emblem. And that's not to say he didn't deserve to be fired. He did. He was bad at his job, independent of the spending. Like his deadlines were all bad. But it's, this is, remember what I said? If they fire him, great. You can't replace him with another nerd because ownership's going to do the same penny pinching bullcrap. And here we are. You're getting outbid by the Kansas City Royals for the fifth best starter on the market. And there was the report today in that report that the Red Sox are talking to Yamamoto. It said the Red Sox are not expected to get into a bargaining war if the Mets and Yankees start one. You're a big market team like the Mets and the Yankees. You should be bargaining for that guy. You should be going to the table for that guy. You desperately need pitching. This is the best pitcher available who's so like, again who's like sorry, 25 years old 25 it's not years old it's not like i get maybe not putting it all in blake snell's basket who's what is he 30 31 years old but this right. is a 25 year old guy who's about to hit the prime of his career and you know what they're japanese scouts doing a decent job yeah right last year they hit I, why, why can't i think of his name right now yoshida yoshida was a hit, I would say. I fell off a little bit at the end of the year. He's banged up. He's a good player. 
Why are you not going to the bargaining table for the player you need? When you say you're going full throttle, when you say this year is going to be different, this has not been different. You are adding players on the margins. They traded Alex Verdugo for three mid-level pro- And Look, they need to get rid of Verdugo. They traded him for three mid-level prospects. They traded him for three guys who are lottery tickets, who are not guaranteed to be contributing major league players. They then traded for Tyler O'Neill, a guy who has played over 100 games just once in six major league seasons and is coming off a back injury. They are now nickel and diming pitchers, and you know where this ends, Brian. One year, $10 million with a club option for 2025 for some guy with a broken-ass elbow. For Corey Kluber again. He might be back because it's the same freaking thing they've been doing, and ticket prices are going to go up. And the beers are going to get more expensive because ownership thinks you, the fans, are idiots. And credit to Red Sox fans. They're not falling for it anymore. They understand this team is a dumpster fire. And they're calling ownership out for it. I just think ownership doesn't care. But yes, it is very frustrating. I had some hope with Craig Breslow. I probably shouldn't have, but I did. <laughs> I thought, hey, you know what? You know, He's been here. He understands. He's a former player. He kind of gets what the game means to this city the importance of this franchise in the sport, maybe he can sway ownership a little bit and get those purse strings open a little bit more and, and do a little less nibbling around the edges and, and actually try to go for something. No, because it's not a great offseason. There aren't that many players available. Soto's gone. To the Yankees, by the way, you helped them get them. Uh, Otani's gone. Like I said, I never thought they were going to be in on Otani. I'll be consistent. I won't hold that one against him. They're not going to get Yamamoto because they're not going to bid for him. And now they're not even getting like their, their second, third, fourth option. Seth Lugo, they're getting outbid again. There's only so much you could do when you're negotiating against a team with as deep pockets as the Kansas City Royals. When the Kansas City Royals are in a spending class that the Boston Red Sox are not, it is such a major problem. All right. If you can't tell, I haven't talked Red Sox in a while. So I need to get that <laughs> uh, chat. Chris Cotillo, who does you know awesome job for the Red Sox, says Red Sox are one of top four bidders for Seth Lugo. Not sure if they were willing to go three full years as Casey was, plus a valuable opt-out after two. So, yeah, getting outbid there by the, the Royals is, is never a good look. So, yeah, it, it's like you spent the last two years, multiple years, even more than that, like restocking the farm. You have a good young core now. It's kind of exciting, and you paid Devers, but... Like you have the money now, like go, go all in, go get a Yamamoto and a Jordan Montgomery, right? Like you shouldn't have to just split hairs here over one. Like you can go get both of these guys and then your rotation, like Yamamoto, Montgomery, Bayo, Sale can be your fourth guy, right? And that's better. Nope, spot. Sale's the opening day starter. Like, Cora said it and we probably all should have taken that as the warning sign it was back yeah. then. But. <laughs> so yeah, that it's, it's frustrating, but oh, I, want to hold out hope here because all these guys are still available but um yeah uh, i'm losing hope uh as days go by with, with, with them here maybe they'll get into the trade market but they won't yeah they they, they probably won't because you're gonna have to pay those guys eventually too so some frustrating stuff for, for from the red Sox. uh i don't know do you have any celtics Bruins stuff my only bruins take is so i was gonna Mon- say give me a take on your boston bruins uh Montgomery, Jim Montgomery needs to stop benching Matt Patra in the third period. I don't don't like that. Uh, 
rather you just kind of like what we talk about with the Patriots, right? Like let these guys out there and fight through some rookie mistakes. And, and you know, Potts was one of their better defensive forwards this year. And he's saying like, he can't be out there. I know he has a rookie mistake here or there. And Montgomery's saying he's putting the guys out there to, we pay to win games, but you know, Potts has been one of their better forwards this year. So I just don't get that whole, you know, move to keep benching him in the third period every game when you have a lead. It's kind of frustrating. On the Celtics,